It is Tuesday, January 23rd, and today we have Prime Minister Christopher Luxon's first post-Cabinet press conference of 2024, which is sure to be interesting given what we're talking about today. So let's get cracking. Kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. Almost five years after the Christchurch terror attacks, there are unanswered questions about Dame Jacinda Ardern's future with a global campaign to tackle extremist content online. We're checking the housing horoscope for 2024. What's going to happen to the market? And what does it mean for first-time buyers? New Zealand's TV and film industry wants the government's help to get money from Netflix and other streaming giants. And I've got all the details you need to know about the world's newest and biggest cruise ship that's about to set sail. All that's coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. The Christchurch Call to Action and Action Plan for Change is a global response to a tragedy that occurred on the shores of my country, but were ultimately felt around the world. That was Dame Jacinda Ardern speaking at the launch of the Christchurch call in 2019, just two months after the Christchurch terror attacks. And this morning, Newsable can reveal Prime Minister Christopher Luxon has met Ardern to discuss her special envoy role with the global initiative tackling violent extremist content online. But there are unanswered questions about the future of that work. The Prime Minister's office would not provide any definitive update on the position only telling Newsable Luxon is awaiting advice and guidance from officials. Staff Audio's senior journalist Aaron Darman is here with more on all of this. Aaron, what do we know about this meeting between Luxon and Ardern? Well, 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 to be a fly on the wall. Mm. So new Prime Minister Christopher Luxon sitting down with one of his predecessors and ex-political foe, Dame Jacinda Ardern. Now, I've had confirmation from the Prime Minister's office that the pair met before the summer break, before Christmas, before that hotly anticipated wedding. And it's important to note here that Ardern's rare special envoy role was always going to be reviewed at the end of last year. But what's interesting here is that Prime Minister Luxon's office won't directly answer questions about the position. So he won't commit to keeping Ardern on, he won't commit to keeping the role, nor provide details about when decisions are set to be made. So Requests to those representing Ardern have also gone unanswered. And there are three key scenarios from here. National Prime Minister Christopher Luxon could have former Labour Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern reporting directly to him on the Christchurch call. Luxon could remove Ardern, the architect of the Christchurch call, and put another New Zealand representative into the special envoy role or similar, or the job is gone altogether and New Zealand's direct involvement with the Christchurch call is left up to Luxon himself. Look, Luxon's first cabinet meeting of 2024 takes place today and there are already so many questions brewing about the future of this mantelpiece commitment New Zealand made in the wake of that tragic March 15 terror attack in 2019. So Imogen, watch this space. Because what has National said in the past about the Christchurch call? Have they always been on board? I wouldn't say they've been overly enthusiastic. Going back through some reporting of comments National and its Coalition Partner Act have made in the past, it certainly doesn't paint a rosy picture for the future of the initiative. Last year, National Deputy Leader Nicola Willis told media the party hadn't looked into whether the call had been a success, nor did it have any of its own policies to combat violent extremism, disinformation and misinformation. And 
Act leader David Seymour, he said it was up to social media giants to regulate violence and extremism. He said that this was in its best interests because, quote, no one wants it. Of course, saying things in opposition, then having to confront the issues in government are two very different things. But regardless, it's a thorny balance for Luxon to strike. Now, and you've also got some more details about what Dame Jacinda Ardern's been up to over the last year in this special envoy job. Can you give us the lowdown? Yeah, some really interesting insights into what that fancy job title actually entails. Documents released under the Official Information Act show Ardern declined any remuneration, but associated costs for actual and reasonable expenses were estimated to sit between $450,000 and $500,000 a year for the role. That would cover provision for things like an extra full-time employee, domestic and international travel, and security support. Those documents also reveal a busy few months for Ardern. There were email chains about planning meetings with OpenAI CEO Sam Altman, a roundtable with US Second Gentleman Doug Emhoff, and of course, that Fifth Christchurch Call Leaders Summit in Paris. Really interesting stuff. Thank you so much, Aaron. So what do those who were in the room when the Christchurch call was devised have to say about its ongoing importance? The Islamic Women's Council New Zealand's National Coordinator, Alia Denzizen, is here to talk to us more about this. Alia, kia ora. Kia ora. Assalamu alaikum. How important is it to keep New Zealand's involvement in the Christchurch call going? I suppose the hint is in the name, right? Well, it- the origins of it come from the attacks in Christchurch, the mosque attacks. But the origins of that attack actually come from online. The prime minister at the memorial talked about hate being a virus and that if left unattended, it would continue to spread. And that is specifically what has been happening with governments not getting in front of of the issues, with tech companies not getting in front of the issues and monitoring their products. Um, it's been impacting society and civil society and grassroots organizations and individuals, and people are dying as a result of it. So the call is really important, and it's really important to New Zealand in particular. What do you make of the efforts so far by the Christchurch call and by Dame Jacinda Ardern in her capacity as, as working with it? Can you give some examples of work or initiative that perhaps people might not be familiar with or might not remember? Sure. The inception of the call was a, as a result of Facebook being used as a weapon to make live um, the attacks and to spread it widely around the around the world. So what we have now as a result of the Christchurch call and the efforts put in is that there are quick takedowns of people trying to embolden hate via use of terrorism and weaponization of basically the net. That's something that's really positive. The aspirations of the call was that it would go wider, that they get in front of the issues so that people won't end up on the doorsteps of mosques and community centers and supermarkets. And that was the goal. That part of it is still unattended. So there's the quick takedown when someone's trying to kill someone in that space and trying to live stream their mass massacres, right? However, there is not any progress in that front end so that people don't get to that space. Are you talking like monitoring? monitoring your own products and making sure that you're not creating um, spaces where people actually augment and and build hate and people who don't want to go into the space but end up being radicalized in those spaces, for example. 
we've seen what happens with suicide, for example, right? The, the young people get talked into suicide. They can also be talked into radicalization. They can be talked into harming others and not just themselves. And that space is still unattended. From the, the day one, which I was in the room in Wellington when all those big discussions, and we were still in a very traumatized state, but we were pushing, going, you have to take the call further than just taking down the killing. And there was a promise that it would move forward further whilst also ensuring human rights are respected. Should the Christchurch call be a priority for this new coalition government, or at least untouchable in terms of New Zealand's uh, input and efforts within it? Our public servants have found that there are more posters to the dark web per capita in New Zealand than in the United States. So if we don't want what's occurring already in the United States to arrive at our doorsteps in New Zealand, then we need to get in front of it. Aliyah Denzizen from the Islamic Women's Council New Zealand, thank you so much for your time. Lovely to talk to you today. Thank you. Remember, you can always get in touch if you've got feedback or a topic you'd like us to cover. Email us, newsable at stuff.co.nz. A real estate agent, a mortgage broker, a property manager, an economist and a builder all walk into a bar. I'm joking. Instead, they all answered stuff senior business journalist Miriam Bell's phone calls and emails for a piece she's written about what to expect in the property market for 2024, a housing horoscope, if you will. So what do we need to know? Well, Miriam's here to reveal all. Miriam, welcome back to Newsable. Hello, how are you? Is there a top line? Is there something that every one of those people you spoke to all said was going to happen? In a sense, I mean, I felt that overall they were all more optimistic about this year going forward than the last year and a half. They all felt that, although we're unlikely for some time to see a return to the boom of 2020-21, they felt that the property market would improve over the course of this year, that for those who are, um, I guess, sellers who are wanting higher prices, that prices will start to go up a bit and that the recovery will continue but it won't be like it was in the past. It will be much more moderate. But that was a fairly consistent theme. And so what then would that mean for first home buyers? Not a good year? Well, investors are still holding back from the market. So there is less competition again than there was a couple of years ago. So it's still a friendlier market in a sense than it was for first home buyers. Although obviously affordability remains stretched because prices are still high and if they continue rising then that obviously puts extra demands on first home buyers. But the mortgage broker I spoke to, Hamish Patel, said that lenders were becoming more flexible and more open to borrowers and more willing to work with them to get where they needed to go. So that's a that's a positive for first home buyers and other buyers too. Mm, no, exactly. And was there any good advice from any of the people you spoke to? Uh, well, save, uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> save, yeah. Talk, talk to the experts rather than just throwing yourself out into into the market and trying to sort of navigate it yourself. A good mortgage broker, for example, can be a lot of help, especially to people who are unfamiliar with with buying. And mm. you know, it's a huge commitment, both financial and emotional, to buy a house, particularly your first house. So I think any help you can get from professionals who know what they're doing is the way to go. 
And so based on your knowledge now from speaking to all those people, can you describe the housing market for 2024 in three words? <laughs> um, balanced but rising. Oh, okay. <laughs> a phrase. I like it. Stuff Senior Business Journalist Miriam Bell, thank you so much for that chat. Thank you. And just a fun wee stat for you. Last year, $97 billion worth of homes were put up for sale in New Zealand. That's the sum of asking prices on all residential properties listed on realestate.co.nz throughout 2023. Now, $97 billion is not to be laughed at. But that number is actually nearly $29 billion less than what was put up for sale in 2022. Mind-boggling numbers. But side note, make sure you're following us on your favourite podcast platform because not only will it mean you get every single new newsable episode automatically downloaded to your phone, it'll also help other people find us and it'll also mean you get multi-billion dollar facts like the one I've just shared more often. Now, if you're like me, you're signed up to multiple streaming sites, rolling out an endless supply of prestige dramas, comedy specials, new release movies, so on and so forth. It's the so-called golden age of television, and it's great for the casual viewer, but not necessarily the people who make shows here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. SPADA, the organisation representing all top Kiwi producers, is worried that the rise and rise of Netflix, Prime Video and the like is having a negative impact on the local industry. So here to tell us why is their president, Irene Gardner. Kia ora. Kia ora. So Irene, what are your concerns? Sparta's concerns are that the streamers have come into the New Zealand screen ecosystem, as they have all around the world. They don't pay any local tax. They don't face any government regulations at all. They use our broadband infrastructure, which was partly paid for by taxpayers. And they take an enormous number of viewers, which means they come away from the traditional broadcasters, which makes it much harder for the traditional broadcasters to make ad revenue because they have less viewers. And then when you start losing ad revenue, you start losing one of the main sources of money to make local productions. So this has nothing to do with Kiwi shows just would still be getting made if they were good enough. It's, you know, it comes down to the cash that's in the pot and the cash that's available. Kind of does. I mean, they are good enough, but... You know, it's expensive to make television and New Zealand, is, it's always been hard. It's always been hard for local production in New Zealand because we've got a small population and therefore we have a small potential audience. And we've been very lucky in that we've had a lot of support for the more sort of public media end of broadcasting from our funding agencies, NZ On Air, Tamangai Pao and the Film Commission, which have all been supported, you know, by various governments over mm. the years and we're very grateful for that. And that bit of the industry you know, is still there and fine. But the more commercial side of local production has always been funded by ad revenue. And that's the bit that's really vulnerable at the moment because the streamers are just taking so many eyeballs away. And, you know, you can kind of go, well, it's a business that, you know, they're popular, they're doing it. But it actually isn't a level playing field. They're not actually playing fair because they are just coming into our screen ecosystem taking from it, but not contributing anything. So what we've been suggesting is maybe a small percentage levy on the streamers New Zealand revenue, and then perhaps it's ploughed back in through our screen funding agencies. So that's what we're going to push for with government. That's what we're going to talk to them about. Early on in the show, we're talking 
about the Christchurch call and the effort involved in getting international tech companies to listen to New Zealand. What makes you think Netflix and co will care about complaints from the bottom of the world? They may not, and that's the reason our first approach would be government regulation rather than just trying to appeal to them as decent corporate citizens. They may push back. We're a small territory. It's always hard, that kind of thing. In the first instance, we just need to talk to government about it. And if we can get some interest, and I think we might with this government because this is a business-focused kind of a government, if they're happy to do the work and work out what might work for New Zealand and start to look into how we might regulate, that would be wonderful. If for any reason they can't, it's not the right thing, then I think we would try something more just appealing to them as, you know, as I say, good corporate citizens. It doesn't have to be a levy. If they don't want to pay a levy, they could just do, you know, four significant commissions out of New Zealand a year or, you know, two great commissions and three great program sales. But at the moment, they're really not doing anything. What are the ramifications for our local industry if nothing changes, if it continues as it is what you've just described now? How many jobs, say, are are at risk here? We will lose jobs. Our big production companies, I would say at the moment, are probably all working under capacity. But they are all working. One of the good things that's happening is that our producers have got a lot more entrepreneurial and we're starting to do a lot more co-productions, a lot more international shows, a lot more international sales. So that end is strong and developing. But the more purely local production end is really challenged at the moment, mainly by the streamers, a little bit also just by the fact that the economy is not great at the moment. So that's affecting ad rev as well. But yeah, it is pretty tough. And as I say, there's cultural ramifications about that. But actually, even if you don't care about that, even if you don't care about New Zealand storytelling, You know, the screen industry actually is about a $4 billion industry for New Zealand. That's a lot of money. SPADA President Irene Gardner, thank you so much for your time. And I really look forward to hearing how your meeting with the government goes. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tag to you about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, I think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. The world's biggest ever cruise ship is taking to the seas for its first passenger voyage at the end of this week, and its specs are simply too jaw-dropping, not to mention. So before I skedaddle for the day, I'm going to talk you through some of them, because this boat cost $3 billion New Zealand dollars to make, so you better believe it's got features worth talking about. Icon of the Seas has 20 decks, 20 floors. It is 20 floors tall and it is floating on the water. That doesn't make sense to me, much like I still don't really understand how planes can fly, but we can talk about that a different day. It has the world's first suspended infinity pool, the largest water park at sea with six record-breaking slides. There are also seven pools, so one for every day of the week if you get bored of the one you visited yesterday. And, of course, as you can imagine, one of said seven is the largest pool on a cruise ship. It seems like it's quite easy to break records if you own a cruise ship and just start building things. Forget just booking a simple old room as well on this thing. There are townhouses you can book. They sleep eight. They have three full bathrooms. They have indoor slides if you don't want to take the stairs. Uh, There's 20 different bars and restaurants on board as well so plenty to choose from. The cheapest ticket I could find 
costs just under three grand Kiwi dollars. It departs from Miami, heads to Mexico, Honduras and the Bahamas before then going back to Miami again. The only catch is, is that that cheapest ticket price is for January 10, 2026, for those of you organised to book a holiday for then. And it's for an interior room, which I'm assuming means no windows. Don't know how I feel about that. But that is Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. Have a good one. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support.